Again, we're in a story time series, and we've been dealing with Ruth for about two weeks now. This is the third week. We're going to wrap it up, but I think there's a lot of truth here, and I want you to grab it. Um, number one, we talked in week one about how to be the friend that God has called you to be, to be that loyal person that's sticking by in difficult times. Matter of fact, today, on my way to church, and I hope they're tuning in, uh, I just, I'm just praying over somebody's life, knowing they're going through a deep depression way, and, and just said, hey, I, I just finished praying for you, and I love you. And their response was, I'm just in a dark place right now. And my response was this, well, we're going to be beside you no matter what. You know, we're here. And I, I like this verse. I'm going to give it to you. Job chapter 6 in the Holman Christian Standard, verse 14 says that a friend should have the loyalty of their friends even if they forsake the Almighty. And I don't know where you are today, but that shouldn't change the way that people believe in you because they should believe in Christ in you and not in where you are, but in who is in you where you are and what he can do. And so today, I, I just want to challenge you. We need loyalty in our lives. We need loyalty in our world more than ever before. And loyalty doesn't say, I agree with bad behavior, but loyalty says, your bad behavior is not going to run me off. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not going to condone it and say it's okay, but like Ruth said, I will go where you go. I will, I will live where you live. I will die where you die. I will serve the God you serve. What a statement of faith. Chapter two, we talked about this last week on diligence. You know, hey, guess what? You got to be diligent in your life, especially in seasons when you're going through a hard time. And was Ruth and Naomi going through a hard time? Yes, Naomi was totally bitter. Naomi was totally checked out and done. Naomi had let uh, depression really settle in to the fact where she was saying, get away from me. God has raised this fence against me. Go back to your parents. This is bad. And if you want to, you can go review the last two sermons. I'm not going to go through a major review of the circumstances of what they did. But last week we talked about gleaning, this, this act of going behind people that are getting their harvest and picking up the scraps that they left behind. And how God used her diligence, God used her willingness to work, God used her patience, God used those things to bring her not from the back behind but to the front lines to where not only was she getting grain, she was getting some of the best stuff because God rewards diligent. Matter of fact, we he said this verse, he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And so that is where we left off last week. So this week, we're going to come in and read chapter number 3 and chapter number 4. And I know before you start freaking out, I'm not reading every verse in this chapter. I'm going to give you some homework like we did last week. But we're going to look at two thoughts that I think are very important. If you are in a season of life that you do not understand, and the season of life where things may seem out of control, or you've got a lot of different things going on around you that doesn't make sense. How many of you have heard this statement? Life is not what? Fair. What'd you say? Easy. That's another three. Hey, how many of you have found out life has some twists and turns? Every day has twists and turns. The unexpected happens. All right? The, the things that you didn't plan seem to take over the plans that you have. You know, your, your dream for your life might not be the reality of your life today. And if you find yourself in those seasons, then today I think there's a very important thing that you need to do and apply. There's one thing that needs to stay consistent and ready, write it down, obedience, all right? Um, uh, obedience. When I was a kid, we sang a song, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. All right, now what does obedience mean, all right? It, it means different things to different people, so let's, let's get this kind of defined. Um, obedience means that I, there's a standard or a way that is set for me that I'm going to live by trusting the person who has set it, believing in what standards and laws that they've made, and, and trusting that it's for my benefit and my good. So because they have the authority, I submit to do what they've asked me to do. 
So matter of fact, maybe write this. Obedience is almost impossible without a submissive mindset. And let's go back to Mother's Day, right? Let's go back a few months ago, and let's talk about the fact that submission does not mean I lay down and someone has power. Submission means I come into an agreement in the same mindset to accomplish the same goal that someone else has for my life. We find that by the fact that the Bible says that Jesus, even though he was God, thought it not robbery to submit himself to God. And so when Ephesians 5 tells us to submit to one another, wives submit to husbands, husbands submit to wives, uh, children submit to parents, parents submit to children, workers submit to bosses, bosses submit to workers. When it gives us to submit to one another, it doesn't mean one is less than, it means that we realize we're more powerful when we're together than when we're operating independently. How many of you agree with that? today the church would be more powerful if we came together with the same mindset instead of trying to figure out who's the best if we came together with hey i got talent you got talent i got ability you got ability and those aren't a threat to each other those are a compliment to each other and if you're good at that i will applaud your goodness and if i'm good at this applaud mine don't get jealous or envious let's just get together and get this done and the number one thing that we need to get done is the the getting the gospel to other people getting the word of god out there so Ruth and Naomi are in the season to where all the men in their life are dead. They're completely broke. They have no hope unless somebody redeems them. I explained this over the last two weeks. That's why I'm telling you to go back. So let's pick up in verse number one of chapter number three when it says, One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you would be provided for. Again, the man in this culture in this day and time was the provider. And when your husband died, you were left broke. You got it? Say got it. All right. Y'all are a little bit asleep in the 9 o'clock service this morning. I saw DJ in the middle of worship bend over. I know what that means. He is praying for whatever is hindering you from being able to be free in Christ to go away. And so in Jesus' name, let's rebuke the spirit of heaviness. Let's not come in here victims today. Let's know that God has a word, and his word is not to bring destruction to your life or a hindrance to your life, but the word that God has for you today is going to set you up, it's going to do something powerful, and it's going to open opportunities for what God wants to do. How many of you believe that God wants to push your life forward today? All right, so let's rebuke what Satan wants to do in your life, and let's bring it in. Obedience sometimes is a word that we look at, and we're like, I don't want to do it yeah anybody else have authority problems if okay anybody else go nine miles over the speed limit not 10 why because you've heard that at 10 they start pulling over so what do you do you stretch as far as you can to have the power you they say 70 you say 79 right they say 65, you say 74. If you're, if you're Peggy, you might be 74-ish, which may end up being Joe's 42 again, which actually is like 54. So the thing is, it's like, you know, when you look at that, it's, I'm, I'm 40-ish. No, you're 79. All right, the thing is, it's like, you, you might stretch that. You know why we do that is we want control. I don't know about you, in some area of my life, in some area of most of your lives here today, there's an area you do not like the control somebody else has. Agree or disagree? Everybody always agree with their boss? No. Some of your bosses are here, so be quiet. All right? Like, everybody always agree with your husband or wife? Children, do you always agree? Teenagers, do you agree with every rule your parents have? All right, there you go. 
Howard, yours and Sandy's were the loudest. I mean, they were like, they were, they were on the, the, no. All right, the truth is, is no. And in us, there's this natural, me and my wife are having this conversation about, you know, um, sin is in the world. And, and uh, you know, right now, the, the number one sin that we want to publicize, that it's all over the news and it's getting all the airtime from the stage, is homosexuality, right? And we want to talk about this thing. But what we do by, is by singling out that is we maximize it and act like this sin is the one that God hates. But we fail to realize that in the same passage that God's saying, hey, these people are messed up, he says, and greed and envy and lying and backstabbing and all these other things. And we, we, we want to hone in and say, these people, and instead of saying us. Yeah. You know, because there is no level to God. You know, they're, they're, they're the same. You're like, I'm not the same as that. But yes, you are. You are just like them. Go to the jail, visit the worst criminal in there. Go see the lifetime sentence person that has done the most heinous crime, and you are just as guilty of sin as they are. Yeah. And you say, well, I don't like that. Well, the reason you don't like that is because we don't like authority. And we, we want to feel like we have the authority. But I'll tell you this right now, and we say it all the time, anytime I'm in control of my life, my life is out of control. Right. Anytime you're in control of your life, your life is out of control. Because God did not intend for us to be in control after the garden. He gave power and authority to Adam in the garden. And what did Adam do? He misused that authority. And that, that brought in a lot of hardship. And how many of you would be honest and say that like there's certain areas of your life that we could be a little bit more submissive to the authority that God has placed over us? Yes? Anybody else in here? Yes. If, I, if I'm not careful, I can get jealous of authority. I can get angry at authority, resentful of authority, hold a grudge against authority, and think that my way is better than everybody else's. And if you're honest, you too. Some shape, form, or fashion. Naomi is in a depressed state, but Ruth is in a submissive state. And Naomi is in the get away from me and go home, and, and Ruth is I stay with you. But then Naomi comes in and says, it's time for you to go find some permanence. This is what you're going to do. Matter of fact, let's skip down. We'll come back. It says in verse number five, here's Ruth's response. I will do everything you say. I mean, your life, can you write this down? If your mindset came that way towards God, you would radically change in days. You would radically change in a moment. If in my life, my walk with God, I got the mindset of I will do everything you say, things would change radically. It's the moment that I want to know more than God knows. It's the moment that I need control. It's the moment that I want the control of my life. Um, many of you are new, Howard was telling us this and reminding of us this, and maybe totally unaware of this building project that we have going on, and, 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 and one thing that I've known about myself, four or five years ago, I'm going to make it happen. Like, if it needs to happen in my life, if God gives me a vision, then I hit the gas and I'm going to make it happen, whatever it takes. Anybody else kind of like that? And, and you think, if you're not careful, that you're being spiritual in the pursuit, but sometimes God gives us a vision, and right after the decision of accepting his vision is delay, difficulty, and dead end. And, and we want to go from decision to deliverance. Today, you may decide, I'm going to be a better communicator. I, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to be a better uh, person committed to my faith. But that decision isn't going to lead to deliverance in a moment. 
You're going to have some difficulties. It's going to seem slow and delayed. And sometimes you're going to hit a dead end to where you're looking at somebody saying, I'm trying. Like, how can you not see what I'm doing? How can you not understand this? Because inside you so want it, but it hasn't happened yet. Anybody there at any point of their life today? And the truth is, is sometimes in church we're like, you just need to trust Jesus and everything works out. Yes, his way, not yours, and that's not easy. Everything works out in his time, and that's not mine, and that's not easy. And so when we're in this, like the old version of me, and sometimes in my flesh, I kind of want to get there again. I have to realize that in my nature, I'm not good, and so therefore, I want to get it done. Or I can step back and say, God, there's a reason why you delay this, which by the way, they, they started yesterday. They came out two days ago, brought their equipment. Yesterday, I met with the builder. 30 days, I'll have the thing here. Maybe by next week, there'll be a whole pad poured out there, all right? So it, it, it's coming. And, and, and in there, I sit there, and I'm like, but we can't afford it yet. We're doing it debt-free, and we don't have the finances. And in my mind, it's like, now I need to go knock on doors and not say, come to Bible school. I need to knock on doors and say, do you love the Lord? Give me your money. You know, like, what do you, what do, you do? Like, we've got this project. We've got this thing. But you know what? Um, making it happen doesn't make anything happen except for stress, anxiety. I mean, uh, how many of you have learned this, that when you're impulsive, you mess up, and, and, and you get out of God's will easy, and the next thing you know, you're frustrated at God for what you did? Anybody want the altar call right now? Like, let's just go. like this is the moment. That's who we are. And the thing is, is sometimes we got to realize that God's going to come in here and say, hey, I want you to be in a season of empty fields so that I can see what you do with little before I put you in a season of full fields. Because if you're not willing to harvest the little, you'll waste a lot. Does that make sense? I want to see what you'll do in a small group that has one person before I give you a small group of 10 I want to see if you're faithful in a devotion with your husband and wife before I give you a devotion with other people of 20 and 30. I want to see if you're okay pastoring five before I'll let you pastor 100. And I want to see how much you love the 100 before I'll give you two, before I give you three. Hey, I'm going to give you a buck. Let's see what you do with it. And then if and you say, well, you know, if God would just give me everything, I would be great. I mean, I know this to be true because I'll drive past the lottery sign that I don't even play, and I'll think about all the things for the Lord I could do if I just had that number that was on that board but the truth is if I got it all like a prodigal son I might be wasteful and so my prayer isn't God give me everything and my prayer is God give me as much as you know that I can handle without totally wrecking my life because I can be very dumb sometimes and so it's like, okay, here we are, God. You say, do this. You say, do that. That's what I'll do. So right now, I'm going to give you a word. And if this is all you get out of the sermon, write it down, keep it, build your life on it. It will change it. Ready? When you don't know what is happening, just do what God has said clearly to do. When I don't know what's going on and I don't know tomorrow and I can't figure out the marriage for the rest of our lives and I can't understand the kid or I can't take away the tumor or I can't cure the disease, I don't need to sit and wonder how we're going to make it. I just need to get the word of God and say, today I will do what is right to do. I will do what you have called me to do. And God has called you to work. God has called you to love. God has called you to live a way that's exemplifying who he is 
is to other people. God has not called you to figure out everything, carry everything, or hold it all together. He has called you to surrender, which is another word for submit. And today, if you don't know where to go, your and my mindset needs to be, I'll do everything you say. I, so she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. What were those instructions? Back up. Let's look at it real quick. If you would, start in verse 2. Boaz is a close relative of ours, meaning this, close relative, he is a kinsman redeemer. I told you all to look that word up. I'd go look it up again. Old Testament thing. If the husband dies, the next in line of brotherhood or family line is to redeem the wife and everybody left over. By the way, little another history nugget. In, in, in redeeming, the idea is I take you as my wife, we bear a child, and that child, that son, becomes the inheritor of everything that was his father's. Are you following this? So I'm not just buying your land and keeping it. I'm bringing it so that your husband's bloodline can continue through your son. And so as that son is born, it's not as if the son is mine. It's as if the son belongs to the father, and therefore the inheritance of the father gets passed down. Sounds an awful lot like the cross and what it did for us, doesn't it? Where Jesus is God's son and, 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 and yes, the perfect groom and gave his life. And so we've been redeemed. Joseph was the earthly father, God, the heavenly father. But through Jesus and his death, through those things, the inheritance we were bought back, brought, we're the bride of Christ. And therefore, the things that come from us, the inheritance that we give to others is as if we're giving them a chance to inherit everything that belongs to their true father which is God. And so as we're here today, we're not here to say we want you to come to Grace Community Church. We're here to say heaven has an inheritance for you. We're here to say that God has a plan and purpose for you. And we might be too small for God's plan and purpose in your life. We might be too country for God's plan and purpose. You may be the next president. You may be the next doctor. You may be the next evangelist pastor that takes the world by fire and by storm in the name of Jesus. Christ. But we are not here today to say, this is what grace has to give you. We're here to say, you've been redeemed, and therefore everything that belongs to your father now belongs to you. That's power today. And so as we look at that, he, he, she says, hey, I, I want you to take a bath, put some perfume and a dress in your nicest clothes, go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now before, and I've seen the world try to put a twist on this, that she seduced him, but that's not true. I mean, understand this, and, and this is a concept I'm going to give you freely. Don't know if we'll translate this to second service, but I feel like we need to go there now. As I was studying this, it's like, okay, get a bath, get dressed up, get nice smelling, but don't let him see you. All right? Go in at night when it's dark and lay at his feet, meaning that all the effort of getting dressed up, putting on your perfume, and taking that bath is not how you're going to get him. And I got to thinking about that in my life. It's like, why go through all that effort if he's not ever going to see you? 
And a realization came in my life that, hey, you know what? I need to wake up every day prepared for what God's going to do in my life. No matter what season I'm in, no matter how depressed, no matter how down, no matter how good life is, you need to get up and you need to get ready. You need to put on the armor of God as if today is the day victory's coming. You need to be ready and equipped as if today you're the belle of the ball or you're the prince charming of the world. God has something good for you. It's not about what others see in you. It's not about what others think in you. It's about what you put on yourself. And Ruth wasn't getting ready for Boaz. Ruth was getting ready for her. And I'm telling you right now, I think it is important that you realize in your faith and in your spiritual walk that what you do and how you look isn't for what everybody else has to say. It's about for what you think about you and how you believe about you and how you perceive yourself. Because if you keep seeing yourself worthless, they will see worthless too. And if you keep seeing yourself as devalued, they will devalue you too. But you're a son of God, a daughter of God. Put on the clothes of God. Get bathed and washed in the spirit of God. And no matter what they see be who you are because it's not about them it's about what he is in you and what you believe you are because of him how many of you got that say got it hey Boaz never saw or smelled her but she felt good and I'm telling you right now I believe this I believe a lot of our ministries are crippled because we feel, gay, uh, we feel the shame and the guilt in our lives. We feel the dirty in our lives, not the cleaning of the Holy Spirit, not the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ, and not the confidence that we have in God that we are bought with a price, called by God, his chosen, his masterpiece, his wonderful creation. And today, if you get something else out of this, don't walk out of here carrying the identity of the world, mistakes, or decisions. Walk out of here carrying the identity you find through a risen Savior that declared you worthy, declared you holy, died for your soul, rose for your victory, and in his name, if you're the worst in the place, even if your sins are like scarlet, today in him, there is white as snow. Stop carrying your Moabite identity and put on what God has given you. Get dressed today and let God do something in your life. She goes at night, lays down in his feet. That's an old symbol of submission. It wasn't sexual. Nothing happened. She lays down there. Matter of fact, they're asleep in a barn at the end of the hay field, or the hay, or whatever, not the hay, the wheat and the barley harvest. And he lays down there, if you read the passage, and in the middle of the night rolls over, and there's somebody at his feet. It's a freak out moment. And he says, who is this? And she says, it's Ruth. He looks at her and he says, you're a virtuous woman. He said, here's what we're going to do. I'll redeem you. But there's someone else that's in line to redeem you first. And before I'll redeem you and make you mine, we're going to do this the right way. So Boaz looks at her and says, hey, even though I could, we're not going to do this out of order. And he looked at her and he said, you're a young woman and could have had a young man, but you patiently waited and are willing to do what's right and willing to submit to an older man. God's going to bless you. I'm going to tell you this right now. When it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't seem fair, when it feels like the life has twisted and turned and you feel like you're broken, obedience is the only way to survive. To just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be consistent in my faith, stable in what I believe. We tell our teenagers this, and I'm going to tell you this, you do not believe it if you have not done anything with it. A belief is evident. A thought a dream, a hope that's not evident. 
That's something we can talk about. We say things. I heard somebody say this this week. We say promises, but they never happen. So are they promises or broken promises? We say we're going to change, but there's never evidence. If you believe it, you'll do something with it. So don't say you believe in God unless you're doing something with your faith in God every single day. Like I'm gonna get up and walk and I'm gonna get up and believe and I'm gonna get up and go to work even when it's not good. My wife sent me a text about a month ago um, and, and I thank God through seeking counseling and doing these things, like emotionally I'm getting stronger. God's doing some things in my life. I feel it, I see it. Um, and by the way, I've sought medical help, professional help, and counseling help. For all of you in here that think that that is morbid or that makes you a failure, that's why I want to say it publicly today. Sometimes you fall, not fall sinfully, but you fall into a mindset that you just need to cry for help. And you need to know that God has put people in professions to help you. If you today have cancer, you need a doctor. Can I tell you that right now? You say, well, you need Jesus. You need Jesus, but you know what Jesus said? The sick need a doctor. So that's the word of Christ. You need a doctor. Well, that's a lack of faith. No, that's a cult. Somebody that comes in here and says, no, you've got to believe in this church and what God can do. It's the same as if I threw you a poisonous snake and said, let it bite you. And if you're a believer, you ain't going to die. You know what? You are stupid. Am I right? Matter of fact, the guy that was very famous for doing that got bit in the face and died. You're saying, did he not believe? No, he, he just, he, he believed in God, but then he got stupid. He got prideful. And started to think that your faith is based on you. No, your faith is based on what you believe God can do. It has nothing to do with you. You know you can have great faith and very little ability. Yeah. Very little opportunity. And, th- and still believe. I mean, if you don't believe that, I mean, just look at um, Gideon, who's threshing his, his wheat in hiding. And, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up he's, and says, hey, Gideon, you mighty warrior. And you know what Gideon says? What I would have said, I'm the weakest and poorest of the poorest tribe, and I'm hidden in a, uh, in a wine press, a wine press threshing wheat. Come on, man. <laughs> like, you're an idiot. What have you been drinking today? That would have been my response. But God always sees different. Abram, father of none, becomes Abraham, father of many without even children. I read that in a book. That's the book. And and I started thinking to myself, how many name changes happen? Jacob, Jacob is, let me paraphrase, one that takes advantage, right? His name means that he he stepped in line. And did he not? He he grabs Esau's foot coming out, meaning I want your place, and then tricks his father later. And God comes up and doesn't say, you're no longer going to be Jacob. Now you're going to be called Israel. You know, Peter, you're not this, you're that. Yeah, I, I love this. What does heaven have to say about you that is totally opposite than what you have to say about you today? What does God see in you that you don't see? obedience opens the opportunity to actually see what you hope for come true. And I believe God can do some amazing things. Anybody else say me too? Then why is it I can believe for you, but a lot of times I have a hard time believing for me? That in a moment I can stop. Anybody else like this? If somebody says pray for me, in a moment you can drop everything, grab a hand and pray over their situation, and you can bring heaven down. You believe in what the Holy Spirit can do. You believe that that addict can recover, that that sickness can be healed. You believe that they can be restored, but then something happens in your house, and it's like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I can believe for you, but I can't believe, no. Hey, listen, you know what Naomi's advice is? Hey, it's got to first mean something to you before it's ever going to mean something to somebody else. And obedience is proof that what God has to say matters to me. So I submit, even when it doesn't make sense, 
even when it goes against what we want to do. You obey. That's chapter three. Let's go to chapter four. Not only do you obey, if you want to see the restoration of life come in, if you want to see God do something amazing, not only are you friendly, not only are you loyal, not only are you diligent, not only are you the person that's obedient, you are actually the person that practices an ethical standard for living. Are you living the way that God has established to be lived? I mean, if you need those Old Testament, you got Exodus, you got Leviticus and Numbers, be careful. We are not under the same rules that they were back then. And anybody that wants to come and say we're under the law, ask them where their goat is. Where's their sacrifice today? Where, where is their, now, does the law apply? Yes, but Jesus said, I did not come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. In other words, hey, there's a whole new method, a whole new covenant of salvation through Christ. And so God's ethics, you want some good passages? Go read Galatians 5. Go read um, this passage in, in, in Romans chapter number 1. And, and don't just get focused on the part that has to do with unnatural ways of having sex. Keep reading to the end of the chapter where it gives you a list of about 20 things that you should not be invested in and neither should I. And then keep reading to the next chapter where it tells us that we can't judge anybody for their sin because we're just as guilty and the problem is we know better. And so as we read those, it gives good standards of living. I mean, I understand this, and I told our youth this. Um, you can't say one form of sexual sin is okay and say another form of sexual sin is wrong. And, and I asked them, and like, hey, how many of you would say that, you know, sleeping uh, with somebody having sex before marriage is wrong? And in our world, they're taught it's not. And, 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 and then we, we ask them that, and half are saying yes, half are saying no. But then you say, well, is adultery wrong? Is it okay to be cheated on? And you're 100% No. Well, what tells you that adultery is not right? Well, the Bible. Well, if I'm going to trust the Bible here, i got to trust the Bible there too. If I'm going to believe in what it says here, then I'm going to believe in what it says here. I, I have people all the time telling me that they're more spiritual than me, but they're having terrible relationships with their spouse and they're separated from them. And I, I want to grab First Peter and I want to read the passage where it says, if you're not right with your spouse, God won't hear your prayers. So stop walking around like a Pharisee, acting like you've got everything together when you're not even doing what you need to be doing at home. Are you with me? It's like this, God's ethics means his way no matter the adverse circumstances, no matter the unknown outcomes, and no matter what culture has to say about it. Because there's a way that seems right to man, but the end's destructive. You say, I, I, I want to get out of this Naomi mindset. I want to get out of this field of brokenness and despair. I'm telling you right now, you've got to have some obedience and you've got to have some ethics. You know, and... and and the job I work, my second job, um, there, it, it's a cutthroat world out there. Anybody feel that way in your business? Yeah, it, it is. Your own employees will cut your throat to get your job. Right or wrong, yes or no? How many of you feel that very heavily? Your competitors will drop their gas one penny less than yours. You know, and, and so I, I see this happen in our world all the time. So if I'm on a call with somebody, and matter of fact, my, my rep from uh, one of my lead generation sources listens to my phone calls because they're recorded and always tells me that I'm losing a lot of business for the, the statement I'm about to make. And I always ask them, are you using another person? Has someone else showed you a home? And if they say yes, then I say, you need to call them. You need to go to them. This is how I put food on my table. I'm not taking food off somebody else's. And they say, well, there's a reason they called you and didn't call their agent. I don't care. 
The thing is this, they're putting the effort in, they're doing this in, and I know how this world works. This world has a fast food mentality. If they pull up to checkers and the drive-thrus around the building, they go to McDonald's. If it's the same, they go to Burger King. They go to wherever they can get it, the fastest way they can get it, the way they want it, and they don't care about the people on the other side. Are you with me? Don't be that person, by the way. You know, be, be, be faithful, be loyal. Think about what it's like. Every person in here represents some point of stress in life. Every job has its own stresses. Everything has its own difficulty. You are stressed in your job, so are they. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you can devalue it. You know what ethics say? It doesn't matter what I need or what I want. What matters is what is right. And I don't want someone doing this to me. I won't do it to them. And I will turn it down. And they're like, listen, I heard them say, there's a reason they're not calling that agent. There's a reason they're not doing this. You can totally get them if they haven't signed a contract. No, I don't want them doing that to me. And I have a standard that God has given to do to others what you want them to do to you. And I don't want somebody that I've been working with for three months to not be able to get a hold of me on a Saturday and another agent show them and that's the house they buy even though I've showed them 40 and I've driven hours and I've given gas and I've done that. It breaks my heart. Why would I do that to somebody else? Ethics keeps you from running over other people, running over the will of God, running over the things around you. And Boaz says, I could take you and I've been blessing you, but there's another that's in line ahead of me. So let's do this the right way. We'll offer him the the right to your husband's land before I take the right. Yeah. You say, well, that doesn't matter to me. It should. Yeah. Our world would be a totally different place if we had ethical belief systems to where there's borderline right and wrong. I train the agents on my team to be the same way. I don't ever want to hear you taking another person's cell. I don't ever want you to do that on this team. I don't ever want you because an agent on this team is sick to go steal their client. If they have you open the door, you keep your mouth shut. You do not talk real estate with that person. You just open the door and brag on the agent they have. And you send them back. And you let them have it because it's going to come back to you. I'm going to say that in your language. Ready? You take your job. You hold the door for other people. You pick up the tab sometimes when you're out to eat. You, you keep your mouth shut when somebody's talking about somebody else. And the only reason, and you should open it to say, we should not talk about someone when they're not present. And if you've got a problem with somebody, let's go talk to them instead of about them. And you need to speak that. That's ethics. But you say, well, how many of you accept this when your children come? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And they say the statement, well, everybody was doing it. What do you normally say to that? Somebody give it to me. If Johnny jumped off the bridge... Would you do it too? How many of you have made this statement or something similar? Yeah, the reality is, hey, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It matters. You know what's right. And you should do and be what's right at all times. And Boaz says this, and look at this if you would. When she's laying there, he said, tomorrow I'll go to town. And I'll do this. And so that's the whole chapter of chapter four. Boaz went, verse number one, to the town gate and sat in the seat there. And when the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat together, and then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to stand as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you 
about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll take it. I'll redeem it. That's my mic, isn't it, messing up? Okay. I'll take it, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. He looks and says, then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate, you redeem it, I can't do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring the right of purchase to remove a sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off a sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahon. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are witnesses today. Can I tell you this right now? Could he have gone and married her without this process? Yes. Would anybody have said anything to him? No. Would he have been a hero? Yes. But in his mind, would he have been right? No. And I'm telling you this right now. If the decision you're going to make in your life is going to leave one ounce of conviction or a seared conscience or a heavy conscience that it wasn't right, then do the right thing, even if it delays it, even if it takes longer, even if it's harder, even if it costs you, even if somebody else gets what you wanted, do the right thing. Write this down. You never get ahead taking advantage of others. You never get ahead going against God's standards. God's way all the way. We talked about this Monday night. Jesus said, I am the way, meaning my way to live should be your way to live. Then he goes on and he says, I am the what? Truth, meaning my truth, not your truth. And sometimes your truth might not be the truth at all. Sometimes might not be the truth at all. But the word of God is true always. You with me today? And then he says, I'm the life. If you live God's way and in God's truth, you'll have a life you couldn't create on your own. I'm going to make a change, Joe. I don't want any distractions going through Facebook or anything. I believe that God has a word, and we're getting to that word right now. Here it is. If you're living in obedience and you set a standard of ethics, even when it doesn't make sense, and even when it goes against culture, and even God restores your life. In the beginning of the passage, we find two ladies who lost everything. And at the end of the passage, we see Naomi now holding a baby. Read this with me. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you to you than seven sons. And Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. Now, I want you to get this. Are you with me? 
understand this is the same woman that says, get away from me, let me die. That now's the woman saying, I'm fulfilled and happy. The actions that you make and choices you make in seasons of difficulty of your life not only bring results to you, but they bring results to the people around you. It's not only you that gets the restoration. It's not only you that gets the reward. It's the other people around us too. And so Naomi gets restored and look at this. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of who? The father of who? Who was the father of? Who was the bloodline of who? I'm gonna tell you this and this is it. A woman who is a Moabite, not even of the Jewish. Because of her loyalty and faithfulness to a friend. Because of her diligence and effort and work. Because of her obedience to the authorities of her life. Because of her ethics in the way that she lived. A foreigner who did not deserve to be in the bloodline of Christ now became the birthing mom of where Jesus would come from. Now, I don't know where your story starts, but I know your story ends with Jesus doing something pretty significant. Your story may be the outcast, the broken, the, the failure, the mistake maker. Your story may be the one that doesn't have much to give or much money or time or effort or energy. You may be the 80 hour a week employee still living paycheck to paycheck. You, you may be the person that, that no matter what you try, it seems like life comes against you. No matter what you do, it seems like you just keep losing it. You may be that person. And it may seem that even living good has led you to a hard life. Making good decisions seems to pay off for everybody else but you. I don't know where you are today, but I do know this. Your story right now may look like chapter one, but I promise you, God has chapter four for you. God has something that he's gonna do, a restoration that comes in that is beyond this world. To now, you're not Ruth who was faithful to Naomi. You're Ruth, bloodline of Jesus Christ. And from her bloodline came Jesse. From Jesse, David. And from David, Solomon. And so on and so on till our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was born. I'm gonna give you one statement. I'm gonna leave it with this. The hell on earth you're experiencing today may lead to the heaven on earth somebody else is able to experience. And what you're going through today may seem like the end of you, but it could be opening the doors of possibility for a savior to be evident in somebody else's life. And you may feel insignificant and you may feel unnoticed, but where you are and what you are, it matters. So today, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own, the Bible tells us. Today, be faithful, be loyal. Today, be a friend. Today, be diligent. Today, be obedient. Today, have ethical standards. Today, just do what's right, knowing that the God who holds tomorrow has a script to your story that will blow your mind. You will go from broke down to the person living with a wealthy house and these things and wealthy in our world isn't all the money you can have in the world. It's, hey, are you loved today? Do you have kids that are happy? Are you smiling today? Are you growing in faith? Are you getting friends? Are you getting significance? If you're doing the right thing, Jesus is gonna birth something in your life that is going to change the world. So don't change. Don't compromise. Stand on the word of God and watch the end of your story be. And from this, 
came Jesus. There's areas in my life this week that I've wrote that statement. And from this comes Jesus. Things I don't understand. Things that I would change if I could. Things that, 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 that in my moment, if God would just let me get the equalizer knob of my life, I would balance some things out. Anybody got that too? Anybody got some doubts and fears in the place today of things that you don't understand? Slip a hand up in the air. Let's get real. We're almost done. Anybody got some, some things in your relationship that you want to work out, but it seems like, you know, you're getting in the way? Yeah. Any, anybody have a hope and dream of the future and what that might look like, but it just seems impossible with what you've got going right now? Anybody like that? I, I, and, and, and from this comes Jesus. I mean, just from this comes Jesus. So may the end of your life story end like hers. In verse 21, Boaz was the father of Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. You know what I hear? It's not that they lived happily ever after. It's we get to live happily ever after because Ruth decided she was going to be someone who was committed to what was right, not what was best for her. So I'm telling you right now, there may seem like things that are best for you right now. Divorce may seem like best for you right now, but that might not be what's best for everything that God wants to do in your life. Don't go for what's best for you. Go for what's right and watch God lead you to not just a best that you can create, but a perfect that he can create. Bow your heads and close your eyes and nobody looking around. How many of you, this resonates with some part of your life today? Would you slip a hand up and say, yeah, this is applicable to me in certain areas? Slip a hand up. Let's see that. Let's testify to it. Okay. Now, I, I don't know where you are, and, and, and I don't know. If you didn't raise your hand, then I want you to go look. That means, in, in, in all honesty, that you're obedient in all things, that you're doing the right thing in everything, that you're a faithful friend, that, 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 that you're diligent in everything you do. I don't know about you, but I, I don't care how perfect I may think I am. There are areas of my life that I know still need growth. You know, now I don't think I'm perfect at all. Anybody me too that? Yeah, I'm not. But I look in certain areas of my life and it's like, okay, it's so easy to not be ethical here. Let's get our ethics back. It's so easy to give up here. Let's get back to God. It's so easy to say, you know what? I'm done with you. You know, I, 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 I will tell you this. It's, it's easy to give up on people because you have so much struggle in your own life that when somebody goes through a hardship and they treat you poorly, you think you're justified in giving them up. Ruth teaches us we have no justification in that. That you know when people need friends? When they're at their worst. You know when they need another person in their life? When things aren't good. The Bible says it's easy to tell somebody you love them when, it, when there's no difficulty there, it's different when you love somebody that doesn't love back. We need a generation of people that aren't willing to argue the things of God, but willing to stand in the love of God and rescue those that might disagree with us today. To stand by those who might be living opposite of where we want to live and what we want to do. Because to have a mindset of Christ is to care when they're at their worst. Anybody can accept who's at their best. I don't want to be a church that says, come to us when you're clean. I want to be a church that says, come dirty, and we will love you just like if you came totally clean today. I don't want to be a person that says, you know what, I'm going to be diligent in the areas that are easy. I want to be diligent in the seasons that are hard. Ethical and obedient. And I pray that's your desire too.
So today, my prayer for you, and I'm going to close this way, is just to pray over the spiritual endurance of your life. That you would stay consistent, that you would stay strong, that you would believe that today you would do what's right even when you don't know what else to do. That you would hang on to the hopes and the visions and the dreams that God has given you. But instead of living, waiting for those to come, you'll live righteously today knowing that righteousness leads to what God has in store. Build the boat today. It might not even rain for 40 years. Build the boat that God has called you to because one day God will float you down the, the, the river in it. In other words, be a Noah that says, even if it takes time to see the will of God, I'm gonna trust in it as if today is the reality of when it's happening. So what is it today that needs to be strengthened in your life? Where do you need to stand more firm? Where do you need to watch God do what only he can do and the only way you're going to be able to do that is clear conscience, clear mindset, clear when your dependence is on him and you're leaning on him. Let's be faithful today. Let's be diligent today. Let's be obedient today. Let's have ethics today. And let's trust that God keeps his promises.